0: Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. You know, there's so much dirt around us, so much mudslinging around us. Everybody wants the juice and getting more dirt on other people. But what is it doing to our mental state? Let's talk about that. Well, have you ever noticed that our, our world has, and, and, and you do too, I, I have it as well, but have you ever noticed that we have this unbridled obsession with accusations? We just love a good, juicy, story-filled accusation. Like, we can't get enough of it. Now, if you don't believe me, I mean, you just turn on any form of media. Like creators right now, they know this obsession in all of us, and so they're cashing in on this obsession to make money. It's so, like live TV alone, right? This is more old school. I don't know if people still watch judge shows, but like these were huge. Remember these are huge? You had, like Judge Judy and Judge Joe Brown and Judge Mathis and Judges Court. And then you had like Jerry Springer and you have Maury, and just like dozens and dozens of like these court weird, like accusation-filled, juicy, you know, shows. Uh, Most popular, long-standing show. A lot of us, I mean, I love the show, it's Dateline, right? Lots of accusations in that. We have channels that are built on our obsession about accusations and getting all the juice. And it's it's not just live TV, though. Many of the top stream documentaries are all accusation-based. So for example, Tiger King, right? Did Carol kill her husband? I don't know. She seems like the type. Carol Baskin. It was Joe hurting animals? Like, I don't know, but like the juicy accusations are they're just so good. Or the documentary uh, made about a town that I knew well growing up. I don't know if you saw this, like making a murder. That was, you know, that was all the craze for, for a while. Like, did he kill her? Probably. Let's spend hours talking about it. I just finished a documentary yesterday on uh, John Wayne Gacy on Netflix. that freaked you out, especially because it happened in this area. It's kind of weird to watch like, footage from the 70s in this, in this area. But man, I spent hours watching that documentary on John Wayne Gacy and all the accusations sur- surrounding that. Today I started this weird one, um, something like uh, Keep Sweet, something about like, the, the fundamentalist Mormon church. And all the accusations that are, that are going on in, in the Fundamentals Mormon Church is like, it really sucks me in. Like, we love a good accusation. And it's not just on television. Like, you turn on podcasts. Like, top the charts. You have Crime Junkie. You have uh, True Crime. You have Dateline podcasts. Church people, come on, we're not exempt from this at all. Like, podcasts are, like, are built on, like, what's wrong with this church and what's wrong with that church? Let's get all the juice. It's, it's captivating. It's fascinating. It's like this guilty pleasure of ours. It's an obsession. But the tension when it comes to all of this, though, the tension is, is while, okay, yeah, while we enjoy like a good crime documentary and that can be harmless, at the same time, you know this, bad accusations have completely decimated people's lives. One of those is Joseph. And this text today should be like right up our alley. We love a good accusation, so let's sink our teeth into this one. Genesis chapter 39 is what we're going to be. This evening, Genesis 39, uh, the, page 33 in the Bible is the chairs. I encourage you to grab one of those. We also have notes. This summer we've been following the life of a man who dominates the pages of Genesis, uh, a guy named Joseph. We're in the fifth week now, and we haven't gone very far. We're actually going very slow. It's kind of the problem when you have a really slow teaching pastor, but you have been so gracious with me and been hanging along. But last week we unpacked the popular story of Joseph in Potiphar's house. Joseph is working throughout the house. He's exercising leadership. Potiphar's estate is doing really well. Mrs. Potiphar likes what she sees a little too much. She becomes a cougar, tries to seduce Joseph, but he keeps his pants on, and the story's not over. And this is where we, we pick up. We're, we're going we're to do what we typically do, just kind of old school, take a verse, unpack it, next verse, unpack it, next verse, unpack it, and then we'll, we'll pull out uh, some lessons. So I really hope you have your Bible, because I'm not going to show any of Up here on the screen, I want to keep you honest and have the Bibles in your hands. Let me pray, and we'll jump in. God, I I thank you so much for for your word. I I do thank you that your word is transformational. Father, may may you remind us of that, that this is your word from our creator. And as we gather together as a family, brothers and sisters, hearing from dad, this is one of, if not the absolute most important time of our week, as we hear from our father corporately. So God, we thank you for this book that we have in our hands. We thank you for these words. Father, you will speak to us. I ask that your Holy Spirit illuminate this text to us, but also bring situations to mind. Convict us, and may we lean into that conviction instead of pushing it off. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we enter into Genesis chapter 39, we find ourselves in an upscale neighborhood of Egypt's capital, particularly the house That we're at is one of the biggest houses in the city and it's pristine made with smooth mud bricks each brick formed perfectly and smooth most houses in egypt are made with mud brick but not like these bricks most bricks you can see the the straw poking out cracks in the seams from from the imperfectly shaped bricks not this house each brick manicured made with care the floors are meticulously swept are surrounded by sand. Sand is constantly blowing in, sand being trampled, you know, trampled in on sandals, but it never stays too long. The, s- the, the floor is just like the bricks. It's, it's pristine. The walls are covered in textiles, some bearing the image of animals, some bearing the image of, of warriors, beautifully woven in blues and reds that pop in the brown landscape. The kitchen aroma permeates the house. Uh, over the cooking fire steeps a typical Egyptian soup. Leeks, onions, Uh, celery, all soaking in a beer hoppy broth. Everything in the house is just right. The aroma, the cleanliness, the clothes are all washed and pressed. Everything is right and good. All of it under the oversight of Joseph. But Joseph's mind is elsewhere. He stands on the porch and not in his stomach. He's held off the advances of his boss's wife. This time... It just feels different, and it will be. Who knows what will happen this evening? Verse thirteen says, "As soon as she, meaning Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, saw that he had left his garment in her hand, and had fled out of the house." Now, last week uh, we left off with Joseph running off as Mrs. Potiphar is getting very aggressive with her advances, and you can see how aggressive it, it was. I mean, she she takes a garment off. He tried to resist and leaves, and, and she holds on. Here's when my question with, with this picture. Ever since I was a kid, and just humor me for a second, I've always been taught that that Joseph had like an outer cloak that he had left with Mrs. Potiphar. And you know, that's what she held onto, his coat. And that's how I was pictured it as a kid. Maybe because, you know, when you teach this to kids, you can't get too much past PG. And so we, we, we talk more about a coat. But even as a kid, I always sat there thinking, why would anybody wear a coat in Egypt? Like, who wears a coat in the blistering hot desert? Not Egyptians. In fact, if you were to look at like hieroglyphics, They're always depicted not wearing even a shirt, just a cloth around their waist. So, this last week, I looked up this garment. Okay, like, what is this garment? And the the garment doesn't mean like this outer cloak or coat that we tend to think of when it comes to this story. It actually means a cloth covering. Most likely, she has in her hand what Joseph wore around his waist. Now, here's why this matters it's his pants. This doesn't look good. She's got his pants. Now, most men wore like a loincloth underneath their their garment, so he hopefully still got that on. But still, this is the equivalent of running out of her room in his underwear, and she's holding on to his pants. Like, this is the classic, "Eh, it's not what it looks like. But Mrs. Potiphar decides to go with what the picture looks like. Verse 14, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he, meaning Potiphar, my husband, has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. Now, dang it, this is so calculated, this is so extremely manipulative, she's doing a few things here. First off, she's playing off a, a common prejudice during this time. So if you notice in verse 14, she doesn't call Joseph by name, right? Not everybody knows Joseph's name, he's, he's the lead, he's the leader of the house. Instead, she calls him a Hebrew. That's very, very intentional. Because during this time, there was this growing anti-Semitism in Egypt, which will eventually lead to why you know Joseph's family is all held as, as slaves. So there's this growing anti-Semitism in Egypt. And so Mrs. Potiphar is going to use this to add some juice to her accusation to fire everybody up. But even more manipulative than that, and this is, oh my goodness, this is so toxic. Notice in this verse, who does she blame in verse 14? Yeah, So she blames the Hebrew, and then she blames her husband. It's my husband's fault. She knows what she's doing. This is crazy, but smart. This is a deadly woman. She's banking on Potiphar doing what husbands do. That wife's mad at me. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make her happy. I'm not going to think critically here. I'm not going to get the full story. I'm not even going to dream of challenging her. I just want to deflect her anger, calm her down, and get her what she wants. Cowardly husbands do this all the time, and Potiphar's about to do this. So she continues at the end of verse fourteen, says he came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. Verse fifteen, and as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. So you have the accusation is made; it's rape. First, we're going to play up the anti-Semitism part, then we're going to blame the husband, blame Potiphar, so he's back on his heels. And now I'm going to lay out the accusation. And then she traumatizes it up. Look at verse 16. Then she laid his garment by her until his master came home. So she's creating the crime scene. Let's just picture this. On his bed is the garment. She knows this is going to get to her. Any husband in here would say, yeah, that would get to me too. Like seeing somebody else's pants in my bed. Like, don't go in my bed. That's my bed. And that's my wife crying. And she's mad at me. He's not going to think straight here. He's just going to fly off the handle. And that's what, that's what she's banking on. The next two verses, she gives the, the, whole, the same spiel. You, know, you brought this Hebrew into the house, and he tried to rape me. This is on you. You better deal with this. Verse 19. As soon as his master, as soon as Potiphar heard these words that his wife spoke to him, this is, your, this is the way your servant treated me. Look at that. His anger was kindled. Just picture this nightmare. Massive accusation. Your pants are laying in their bed. Mrs. Potiphar has an Oscar performance going on with her tears. Potiphar's face visibly changes looking at his pants laying in someone else's pants laying in his bed. And this is the last guy in Egypt you want to tick off. We've talked about Potiphar a little bit more in detail, right? He's a warrior. He's handpicked by Pharaoh as captain of the guard. He's an executioner, likely the lead executioner in Egypt. He's likely killed someone this week, if not that day. He's paid to be intimidating, and now he's bursting with anger. Verse 20, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there. Now we're going to get to know that prison a lot more next week, but this is, this is very interesting. The penalty for rape during this time in Egypt, in this region, the penalty for rape is death. Attempted rape is seen as the same thing. It's the same punishment, death. High penalty made this crime very rare. So it's interesting here, and this is a commentator's debate about this all the time, it's very interesting here that Potiphar didn't seek the full penalty for Joseph's sin, or alleged sin. It's not that Potiphar didn't believe in the death penalty. That was his job. Like He didn't think twice about putting people to death. But for some reason, with this one, he thinks twice. Now, obviously, the hand of God is here, keeping Joseph alive because God has plans. But still, Potiphar not seeking the actual penalty of the crime that was committed in his home shows he has some suspicions going on here. After all, he knows Joseph. Like for the last several years, Joseph has had character. He hasn't taken a thing. He's not slimy. He's not creepy. He's not chauvinistic. He's not, he's not flirty. The guy works hard. He leads well. He treats those in his care with, with respect. And you can see this is not lining up for Potiphar. On top of that, a woman this calculated and manipulative, this is like, this isn't a one-time thing. This is like her operating system. She knows how to get Potiphar to do his bidding. And so Potiphar has his doubts, but he kind of feels strapped, like we would. I mean, put yourself in Potiphar's shoes. This is a difficult situation. You have your wife who's an emotional wreck, claiming that she doesn't feel safe in her own bedroom. And if that's true, that's awful. Some of you might even know what that's like. You know, you've been assaulted or you've been stalked. It's terrible. So if it's true, yeah, like put this low life to death. At least castrate him, I say. You're going to take advantage of a woman. No problem getting rid of the scum on this earth. On the other hand, Joseph hasn't been scummy. Never been any sort of sign of, like, sexual deviance. Never sort of any sort of inappropriate flirting. No sign of entitlement or anything like that. And so Potiphar is in this tough situation. What do you do? Potiphar decides prison. It's a shame he doesn't investigate. At the very least, you find out more about what happened, and then, you know, you just, like, trade him with somebody else. But ultimately, Joseph pays the price for a false accusation. You ever have someone make up something about you? have a false accusation against you or, or maybe somebody didn't get the full story on you and they jumped to a conclusion about you it's a terrible feeling in high school I was suspended from basketball for fighting I was uh, I was walking through the hall in school it was actually the, the day of a big game and uh, I, I saw this bully shoving a kid into the lockers and so fortunately I was bigger than the bully and so I, I just grabbed him and I pushed him over a desk and I made a bigger scene than I meant to but the desk tipped over and he fell over and i turned around to just keep on walking, and the principal was like standing right there. And all he saw was like the kid falling over the desk. And so I got suspended for, for fighting and, and threatening. And, uh, and he saw what he saw, but there was more to the story. You know, I wasn't listened to, and I tried to, t- he wouldn't want to listen to my part. I saw what, what you did, Junior. I, I don't want to listen. This is a terrible feeling. Now, that's just something little. That's just something stupid. You've probably been on the receiving end of some difficult accusations. We've, I, I've had people sitting in, in my office Talking about going through a custody battle, and this is very common multiple people I've talked to going through a custody battle where one spouse makes up things about the other spouse, then they win custody and now I can't see my kids because my ex made up this story about me I've seen that over and over and over i have a I have a good buddy of mine who's paid child support for the last fifteen years. His daughter doesn't want to see him because the mom who did that is still making up lies about him, saying he's never paid child support. So he's got all these false accusations. When you have a divorce, a lot of times there's lots of accusations flying around. False accusations are a way of life, especially today in, in, in the social media world. Social media is like the new judge, jury, and execution, isn't it? Within minutes, you've done this. You've heard a story. You've condemned. You've made your decision. You've been in bed, right, scrolling your phone, getting angry. And now we punish the person. And maybe you've been on the receiving end of that. We live in an accusation-crazed world, and some accusations are legit, and they lead to justice. They need to be taken seriously. They need to be looked into, but some accusations have no merit. just like the one we read, and it destroys lives. And so what we're left with is like, what do we do? We live in this world that is crazed about accusation. How do we navigate all of this? Because you know how this works. As soon as there's an accusation, as soon as there's a post on social media, the line is drawn in the sand, and you have to immediately take a side here. How do you navigate that? You will hear an accusation this next week. How, what are you going to do with it? You will be accused of something. How are you going to handle that? So we got a few things from this text. Let me just say this. This is not a fun outline. These are not like feel-good points. In fact, they might even seem ridiculous in the world we live in. But I really do believe that much of the decline of our society, much of our struggle with mental health, much of our glaring division in our world today is over our mishandling of this very topic: accusations, stories, and gossip. <laughs> I'll shoot straight with you. This is just uh probably shouldn't say this. This is just bad preaching, but you're used to it. I um I I didn't want to preach on this. In fact, so m- Part of, we, we have a teaching team, right? And we, we all get together and, and, and share stuff. But my job is to like, establish like, you know, how the series is going to look and, and then compiling everything. And I would skipped over this, this part of the text. I was just like, well, you know, we, leave, we, leave, we left off with Joseph resisting temptation. Then he gets falsely accused. And, and next week going to be like, I had a like, good sermon next week this more feel good. You know, what do you do when you feel like forgotten? You know, when you feel stuck in life and it feels like God's forgotten you. And so I was like excited for that. So I, you know, I, I come to the team, and my my dad is like, "You have to do. We have to do uh, accusation when when uh, Joseph is accused. Why, why aren't we doing? Why not we preaching on that?" It's like, "Well, Dad, we're doing a review on it, but we're not gonna like. It's only like a few verses. Like we're gonna just review it and, and con- continue on." He's like, no, "No, no, we we have to do this. We have to do this." Like crazy old man's so is this in his mind? And this is kind of like when submission sets in. we are like, submission is really like you know, it only matters when you do it when you don't want to, right? It's like, all right, well, you know, ultimately the pulpit's not mine, and he really wants to do this, so I guess we're going to do it. And I uh, did some research and, and kind of compiled this. And over time, I, I don't know if it was the text or, or God just changing my heart or both, but I realized this is abs- what we're going to get into might seem simple. We're talking about false accusations. This, uh, what does this matter? This is absolutely huge. I really do believe, and I've, I've, I've been convicted in my own study of this, that my own mental health... Struggles, like I've I've said this before, but like I see a counselor. A lot of my own mental health struggles is because I I struggle with false accusations. I hate injustice. I hate when there's false accusations, and I hate when they're made against me. So I really struggle with this, and I've been convicted in this as well. So when it comes to what we're talking about today, false accusations, we tend to think, "Oh, this really isn't for me. This is absolutely for you." Yeah, this isn't a feel-good sermon, but this is definitely what you need. And so we're gonna we're gonna hit it. You ready for it? Number one. Number one, false accusations happen all the time. That's our first takeaway. False accusations happen all the time. It's, it's a reality, It's a sad reality, but this is something that we must must remember in the world we live in when accusations are made constantly. We have to realize false accusations happen all the time. When I was a youth pastor, at the end of the this is like 10 years ago, um, at the end of the day in the office. There was a girl who wanted to meet with me. She was, she was um, coming after school, and she had made a few accusations against uh, some of my youth leaders, saying that they were mean to her. It was one of those classic, like, everybody's mean to me, one of those kids. And, and the mom and dad just, like, babied her and really ran with it all. And so she wanted to come meet with me because one of her leaders was being mean to her or whatever. And I didn't trust her. And so I asked the person that I shared an office with, I said, can you just stick around? You know, we have like a cubicle, but you, can, you just sit on the other side of this cubicle because who knows what she's going to say after after this meeting. And so we, we got to talking and and, um, and I, I challenged her a little bit. You know, she had said what I thought she was going to say. One of my leaders is being mean. And I said, okay, well, I'll look into this, but like, this is like the third leader you said is mean to you. I'm wondering more about your attitude when it comes to this. this. Is all I said. Very next day, I had the parents calling the elders wanting to meet with me because I intimidated this girl and raised my voice and threatened her. Now, that wasn't remotely true. It was like a 100% lie, but this is what was getting passed around. So much so that I actually had a speaking engagement at a camp, and they had called me because they had heard through the grapevine that I bully high school girls. So they wanted, to, they wanted to cancel me. Now, luckily, I had that person on the other side of the cubicle. So when I agreed to the meeting with the elders and, and, and the, the parents, uh, to bring my witness, I, I said, "Can I bring my witness?" And the girl, when she found out somebody's on the other side of the wall, she promptly confessed, and the accusation was dropped, and, and we moved on. And the person around the corner knew that it was and testified. There's a friendly conversation, but this sort of thing happens all the time. It happens to pastors on our staff a lot. It happened to my dad. Actually, there's one with my dad. It's kind of funny because uh, I was there and I heard it all go down. <laughs> After the service, uh, an older woman came up to her or came up to him and said, "You know, I saw people taking pictures during during worship and." Uh, I just want to make sure that I'm not in any of them. And my dad's like, well, why? She said, Well, uh, because I hate how I look, I'm so ugly. And my dad is standing there with my mom right next to him, and I'm right there. And he says to her, Nonsense, like, don't think that about yourself. I'm sure if there's a picture of you, I'm sure it looks great. Next week, he gets an email about how he was coming on to her and hitting on her, right? Like, apparently my dad just likes hitting on old ladies in front of my mom. But People are people, right? People are weird. And for some reason, people make false accusations. Sometimes it's not malicious. You know, it just misinterpreted something. Sometimes it's for attention. You know, people will hear my story, and whoever hates that person, they're going to give me a platform. Or like Mrs. Potiphar, sometimes it's for retribution. But false accusations are a sad reality. And we have to be careful when we talk about this topic because a lot of accusations are true. And by no means do I want to discourage anyone from you know, bringing something to light that needs to be brought to light. Like I've sat with people as recently as two weeks ago. I sat with a girl and encouraged her. You know, we have to call this person out. What they did was not okay. And what you're saying, we need to get the police involved. And they're scared. They don't want to do it. They don't want the spotlight, and they don't want to make it a big thing. And we talk them through it. You know, let's think about the future victims. Let's think about other victims. Like we need to. We, this needs to be investigated. Many accusations are real, and they're painful, and they should be taken very seriously. But Scripture shows us here, in our sin-stained world, there will be false accusations with absolutely no no truth behind them. The enemy uses that. Jesus was falsely accused. False accusations, especially in our social media world, are reality. But so often, so often, it takes a while for our mind to remember this. We hear something, especially if it's something juicy. We see something online, and our, our, our mind is immediately captivated by the juicy details. And then what we do, and we're all guilty of this, is we fill in all the gaps in our head. Now, oh, I could see them doing that. It's probably why that happened. And I bet they were trying to do that. And now we have in our heads this full story. We all think we're smart enough to fill in all the gaps of, of the story. This is something that I've been working on because I have a very vivid ma- imagination. And so when I hear a partial story, I fill in all the gaps right away. And I'm learning to slow myself down. It's actually like last week, I, I, uh, so I oversee our, our summer camp staff, college students and high schoolers. Not directly we have staff like, living on camp that does that, but, but I oversee the program. And so last week I got a phone call that uh, two people didn't show up to clean the bathrooms, and they blew off the job. So there's an accusation. And immediately I had the story. I was like, oh, yeah, well, those two during, uh, during training, when I was training them, they did not have a great attitude. I bet they're doing this on purpose, actually, probably because you know, they were trying to do some sort of strike, you know, just try to get to us. Just stop myself, like, okay, hold on. Let's slow things down. Let's get the full story. It wasn't anything like what I had in my head. In fact, the accusation was a little bit misinformed. False accusations, they happen all the time. little sub point. I didn't have this in the notes, but Jordan talked me into having this. little sub point underneath here. Believe the best. Believe the best. When you hear an accusation and you don't know if it's true or false, believe the best. Last night I was arguing with my wife. I know a pastor arguing with his wife. And uh, we were arguing about just something dumb. But toward the end of the night, we, we started sort of laughing because it was just like, if we just believed the best about each other in this situation, we wouldn't. this wouldn't have been an issue at all. I think a lot of couples, especially like married couples, lots of like little squabbles, lots of little accusations. And if we would just believe the best about each other, about our intentions, we wouldn't have much of that. So anytime you hear an accusation, whether... It's an accusation against your spouse, a loved one, or someone that you, know, you don't know well. Just remember, false accusations happen all the time, and I'm going to believe the best right off the bat here. There is such a thing as bad information, false accusations. Often there's more to the story. And if we're going to be what Jesus told us to be, innocent as doves and wise as serpents, if we're going to be that, we can't run wild with every little story that we hear. Number two, if it doesn't involve you, stay out. If it doesn't involve you, stay out. I think I've said this to my girls about 50 times in the last week, so this seems like such like a childish point, but l- l- we got to talk about this. If it doesn't involve you, stay out. You don't have to attend every drama you're invited to. If you're not part of the solution, why engage in it? You don't have time for that. You don't have mental space for that. Psychologists call this mental boundaries. It's a very, very healthy, healthy thing to have. Now, we all know about setting boundaries, right? Like, we should have boundaries with people. Setting boundaries makes good relationships. And if you want to help people, you have to set boundaries. Right? Like, you can call me, but you can't knock on my door at 1 a.m. That's going to be a boundary. There's such a thing as mental, mental boundaries. And it's a very difficult skill to develop. It's one of the things he's talking about with my counselor that I'm trying to develop uh, with, with me personally. It's very rare today in our world. But it's this idea of hearing a piece of gossip or reading something, or somebody saying something to you, something juicy, and thinking, well, that has nothing to do with me. I'm sitting at my boundary. I'm not gonna drain my mental space, letting that live rent-free in my head, so I'm just gonna stay out of that. It's thinking, I don't have to judge here. Just because I read that online, or just because I heard something, I don't even need to get all the information, because this is outside of my mental boundary. This has nothing to do with me, and I'm not part of the solution, so I'm not going to waste my time with that. I don't even need to have an opinion. I know that sounds crazy to say in 2022, but you can say it. I don't have to have an opinion. I don't even have an opinion, so I'm not going to go there. That's refreshing. I think of like Jesus. I mean, obviously Jesus is God, so he's perfect. But Jesus displayed mental boundaries a few times throughout the Gospels. One of which is people would try to bait him into talking about Rome all the time. Let's talk about Rome. Why don't you get political? Let's talk about Rome. Jesus would never do it. He'd never go there. That has, he's thinking, I, I just got bigger things to do. I'm not gonna go there. It's a mental boundary. Develop that skill. For some of us, that might look like getting off social media because we're just bombarded with stories and opinions and accusations and fights, and, and you just you don't have the, the mental boundaries yet to be able to handle that. If it doesn't involve you. Like, why comment? Why give it time? Why give it mental space? Maybe it just means getting off social media. But when it comes to this, we all think we're wise enough to sift through accusations fairly. All of us sit here, we think, yo, I'm mature enough and I'm wise enough, you know, to listen and engage and get the full story and fairly judge. We all think we have the emotional intelligence for that. But that conviction alone shows us that we're not. True wisdom, high emotional intelligence is saying that has nothing to do with me. My involvement doesn't help. So I'm staying out. I have more important things to do. Number three, Love, truth, not juice. Love, truth, not juice. But Junior, the juice is so captivating. He did what? She said what? They did that? And 10 minutes later, we're still cutting them up. Juice makes better shows. Juice makes better podcasts. Juice makes better blogs. And we spend hours and episodes and articles and posts piecing everything together. It's fun. It's often a thrill. But we also must remember what Paul wrote. Whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is right, whatever is pure. Think about these things. Don't get sucked into the juicy bits. You're to be different. One of the greatest sins of our generation is bearing false witness. And if you don't hear anything I say today, just remember this right here. This is the take home. One of the greatest sins of our generation, and I'm guilty of this, is bearing false witness. It's an overlooked command in Scripture, right? It's the ninth of the, tenth, of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And often we just think like speaking lies, you know, either intentionally or ignorantly. It also means keeping false information alive. How many of us are so quick to post? We, uh, we see something that aligns with our political agenda. Well, I'm going to repost that, only to find out the story just wasn't true, and there were inaccuracies, You know, that's not just an oops. That's breaking the ninth commandment, keeping false information alive by reposting it. That's serious. See, what comes out of our mouths, what is posted, what is reposted, what is commented must be absolutely true. God does not want his his representatives losing their credibility because we're getting sucked into accusation-based conspiracies. So often people look at the silliness that we find juicy, Watch us repost inaccurate partial stories and then are far less likely to follow God because we've completely discredited our witness. It's Acts 1-8. Acts 1-8, Jesus tells his followers, you are to be my witnesses. And a witness is only as good as their credibility. How many of us are losing credibility, failing at what Jesus told us to do because we're getting sucked into conspiracies and accusations, that further our political agenda. We're about truth. It's truth that sets us free. It's truth that our mind needs. It's truth that gives us credibility to be what Jesus asks us to be, credible witnesses. And point number four. The full story will come out. The full story will come out. The full story will come out. I feel for Joseph. Not only do his coworkers think he's some creep, not only will he sit in jail for years as this man, we're going we're to get into that next week, huge. But you think about it, when Joseph rises to the top again, because he will rise to the top, becoming the second most powerful person in Egypt, people will still point at his history. Hey, how's this guy ruling Egypt? Isn't he a rapist? Why is Pharaoh having him giving him his chariot in his own palace? And didn't he sexually assault a woman? Like, this doesn't just land Joseph in prison. This will be a cloud that hangs over Joseph, even in his success. But Joseph had faith and trusted. One day the full story will come out. Not in his lifetime, but maybe the next. And God made sure of that. I mean, here we are, thousands of years later, and we see Mrs. Potiphar for who she is, a vindictive, manipulative liar. And we see Joseph for who he is, a man of character and poise. This might might hurt to hear, and it pains me to say it, um, because because I'm not good at this. But again, I realize that, that so many of us, again, so many of us across our campuses have, have lies said about us to get custody of the kids. Something went down at work and you're lied about. There's some sort of family drama and, you're, and your side of the story is not being heard. There's some real pain attached to some of this. But if you spend the rest of your life trying to justify yourself against that, you will do more damage than the actual accusation if you spend your life, if you live trying to justify yourself against every false accusation that will do more damage than the actual accusation, this is a hard pill to swallow. But it is true. You will fall into bitterness with a chip on your shoulder. At some point, you have to let it go. And you have to play the cards you're dealt. And we'll find that this is what Joseph does. A couple years ago, a blogger had published an article naming, uh, naming me as a supporter of something I didn't support. Long story short, it's like an old college friend of mine it is uh, controversial to say the least, and he started something, and he asked me to sign on as a supporter, and, and I had declined. But somehow things got twisted, I don't know how, and I was named in this article as a supporter. And the night the article came out, I was sitting in my, on my back patio um, having a fire with a couple of buddies, and my phone was just, like blowing up. Did you see, and why would you, and, This person's saying this. And my buddy sitting next to me, he's a good friend. He's, He's getting really ticked off. Like, he's ready to start some social media war on his page. You know, he's like, Junior, you gotta like publicly set the record straight. Write up a post, show that they're inaccurate. I'll do it for you. And I wanted to. But the more I stared at the fire, the more I felt like, and then what? At the end of the day, people believe what they wanna believe. People will always squeeze where there's juice. This is just a little thing, stupid little blog. Who cares? And responding to it is just going to throw gas on the the fire. I still had to chew my tongue off though, for a silly little thing. You might have been burnt in a much bigger way. You lost your job over this, or an ex lied about you and took the kids, and they got custody. It's not some silly little blog. Like this is real pain. That's a heavy weight. The story of Joseph serves as hope. It hurts. It's heavy, it's a black eye, but it doesn't need to stop you. And spending the rest of your life obsessively trying to prove you're right, come on, that's going to do more damage. Do what you can, but at some point, there has to be a time where you go, I can't control the outcome of this, I am letting him take it, it's in his hands, and I'm just going to play the cards I have right now. The true story of Mrs. Potiphar didn't come out in Joseph's lifetime. But God made sure to publish it, and he will with yours. And as believers, we hold on to that. You might have been falsely accused. Someone didn't believe your story. Maybe you made an accusation and someone shut you down. They should have listened and investigated, but they never did. Or someone's spreading lies about you. Are you going to live in bitterness and defense? Are you going to trust the author? The full story will come out. God will not leave a stone unturned. He's writing the ending, and it's going to be sweet. I want to close by reading first Peter 3 over you. I love these words. They have blessed me. And I trust they'll bless you as well. This might be one of those verses that you hold on to in a, in a difficult time. But Peter writes this He writes, Keep your conscience clear. I love that. Just do the right thing. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned. But he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. See, maybe, just maybe, when you're lied about, when you're falsely accused, when nobody believes your story, maybe it's right there more than ever that you find this mysterious blessing that you get to walk the road that Jesus walked while trusting the true author has never and will never write a bad ending. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings.